Spring is a great time of year to do some cleaning around the house and clean up your finances. And something else that you can do for your family this spring is shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius as part of your financial planning for the year. Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses, things like mortgage payments, credit card payments, car loans, or even college costs. I have a wife and two kids, with a third on the way, by the way, and business partners that all depend on my income. So I needed life insurance and Policy Genius made that so incredibly easy. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to talk to Ryan Pineda, who went from flipping couches to flipping houses. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of MasterMoney.co. And today on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to be talking to Ryan Pineda, who went from flipping couches to flipping houses. If you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram at MasterMoneyCo and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast. And if you want to help out the show, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well at Master Money on YouTube. So today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be starting to do some interviews with people, people who I think can make a major impact in your life. And today, we're going to be talking to Ryan Pineda. And if you don't know who Ryan Pineda is, he's an unbelievable real estate investor, but he's also got some amazing content on YouTube. you got to check him out on YouTube, Ryan Pineda on YouTube. And he's also got a new free course for people teaching them how to build wealth. And it's not just wealth with your money, it's with your time, it's with your energy, it's with everything surrounding your life. And this is an extremely valuable episode. You guys have to tune into this episode, take notes if you can, because what I want you to understand is look what Ryan did. Ryan started out with no money. He started with literally no money. He started from the bottom and he built wealth over time by doing the right things every single day. And with TheWealthyWay.com, he's going to teach you exactly what he does every single day to do the right things, to make sure you're putting yourself in the right position to be building wealth over time. But listening to his story, he started with no money and now has seven multi-million dollar businesses and is launching more this year. So this is what I'm talking about when I tell you guys, anybody can build wealth. It doesn't matter where you start. He started from ground zero. But anybody can start to build wealth. You just have to start taking the right actions every single day. So I want you guys to listen to this story. It's an amazing story of where he started and where he is today. And listen, guys, this actually didn't happen over a super long period of time. Ryan is a really young guy. He did this very fast because he was doing the right things each and every single day. 
So I know you guys are going to love this interview. I know you guys are going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's talk to Ryan Pineda. Ryan, welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. Hey, happy to be here, man. Thank you so much for coming on. So you have such an amazing story. You're a pro baseball player to realtor to multi-million dollar real estate investor. How did you get to where you are today? Man, I think uh, a lot by accident and um, just looking at different opportunities and kind of pursuing them, not knowing what was going to happen. You know, for me, it's just been like every step of my career has been a door that was open that I didn't expect. And I just kind of went with it because I felt right. And I felt like this is the place God was calling me to go and it ended up working out. Um, growing up, I just thought that I was going to be a baseball player. And thankfully, you know, that plan went pretty good for most of my life. I got a Division One scholarship. I became an All-American. You know, I got drafted by the Oakland A's. And eventually, as time went on, I realized, you know what? It's not looking like I'm going to be in the big leagues and I'm going to make all the millions I thought I was making over there. So I need a backup plan. And, um, you know, looking at the backup plans early on, I got my real estate license and I realized over time that wasn't for me. I didn't like, you know, touring homes and dealing with clients just wasn't my style. And personally, it just led me down the path of entrepreneurship because I realized if I wanted to go play baseball and still pursue that, but also, you know, make money and provide for my family, I had to figure out a way to do it. And so that led me to actually couch flipping, which, you know, has become very big uh, recently. And it was just this thing where I was like sitting there thinking, man, what can I do to make money? And I was just looking around at our apartment. And I'm like, I think I could sell these more than I bought them for because I got good deals and tested the theory. And that was really my first successful business of like, this is an idea. Let's test it and see how it goes. And it was successful. And I would say every business since then has kind of followed that same process of, hey, this is an idea. I'm not sure it'll work, but I'm pretty confident. Let's test it. And if it has legs, then let's like scale it. So I didn't know that that was my plan, but that's kind of what's happened. That's amazing. And I think couch flipping is one thing that we want to talk about here because I get so many questions from people. How can I increase my income, specifically college students or younger people? And I think couch flipping is one of the coolest things that they could do or just flipping items on Craigslist, you know, in general. So that's something I think we want to kind of dig in a little bit. So how did you actually get started? I know you had your first couch and you were looking at it and you figured out you could flip that thing. So how did you actually get started and how did you haul these couches around? Yeah, so, you know, it started, like I said, with me in the apartment, just kind of looking at these couches and, you know, furniture items that I just bought on Craigslist. And at the time too, before I even started couch flipping, I was actually substitute teaching. And I don't really tell people this part of the story because, um, I don't know, it just never really comes up. But I remember substitute teaching for $90 a day. And as I had this idea of couch flipping, I'm sitting there talking to the kids and substitute teaching, being a terrible sub, by the way. And I'm like, dude, I know I could make more than 90 bucks a day if I just bought one item. I guarantee it. Like, it's so easy. And I just had the revelation. Like that week, I said, I'm done. I am not substitute teaching anymore. The moment I flip one couch and I prove that I'm right, I'm going all in on this. And so, you know, that very first couch, um, I remember I found one. I got, I don't even know whose truck I got. I borrowed someone's truck and I was like, let's just pick up this couch. We'll go put it in my apartment and uh, let's see if we can sell it. And I ended up selling it a few days later. I made over a hundred bucks and I was like, okay, I'm done subbing because that took me literally like one hour to go find the deal and go get it versus six hours of sitting in this classroom and, you know, not being able to do it. And I also thought too, I was like, if this prevents me from getting one deal, then it's not worth sitting in this classroom because, you know, getting good deals in anything is all about speed, right? Especially real estate. Like how quick can you make the offer? How quick can you close? And I understood that even when I was broke, like speed is the name of the game. And so um, once I proved it, I said, you know what? To prove I am all in on this, I'm going to go buy a truck on Craigslist first and foremost. So after that first couch, I went and bought a truck for 1500 bucks. It's like a 1990 something. Fun fact, I thought it had 99,000 miles. It actually had 199,000. The guy lied to me. Um, he like shifted the odometer so I couldn't see the one. A month after I bought it, I looked, I'm like, is that an extra number over here? And sure enough, it was. 
But um, <laughs> that couch or that uh, truck ended up serving well. I started flipping couches with it. And from there, as part of the scaling process, I got my first storage unit. Um, I used that truck. And after a couple of months, I was making good money. You know, I had made like 2000 the first month and then 3000 and then 4000 I'm like, okay, this is like an actual thing. And I decided that I was going to trade in that truck, trade in my car that I had. I had a Mazda 6. And the Mazda 6 was actually a brand new car. It was the last brand new car I bought until this year, actually. So I bought this 2013 Mazda 6. I was super proud of it. And I was never driving it. I was driving the $1,500 piece of crap. And uh, I was like, I need to get a truck that I can drive every day. That's nice. So sold the Mazda 6, sold the truck, bought a 2004 Toyota Tundra. And uh, that was what I drove for a couple of years while I was doing it. That is awesome. So couches are obviously a really big item. So how did you store these things? Did you keep them in your living room or where did you put them? Yeah, so starting out, my wife, thankfully, she supported me. I'd put a couple of couches in the apartment. There was no way to walk. It was just like there. And uh, soon enough, I realized after I bought the truck, I'm like, okay, to scale this, I need a space. And so I remember calling up all of the storage facilities close by to our apartment, just trying to get their pricing and all that stuff. And I think at the time it was like a hundred dollars for a month. Like that was the special. And then uh, it would go up to like 150. So I got a 10 by 30 storage unit. And this is what I recommended in that original YouTube video, but don't get a storage unit where you got to go walk through the facilities. And like, that's a nightmare for me to get in that garage one where you just lift it up unload your couch right there with the truck, go slide it in. Uh, it made things a lot easier. And so, man, that was like my first real office, essentially. It was 10 by 30. Uh, it had a little light bulb in it. We took power from the light bulb. I don't know if that was against the rules or anything, but we made this little outlet on top of there. We ran some extension cables so that uh, we could have you know, power for either cleaning, vacuums, and uh, sprays, and other things. That's awesome. And I think I saw another YouTube video where you were coaching somebody else and showing how you laid the power and stuff in there, which was really cool to see. So I definitely want everybody to go check that out. Do specific types of couches sell better than others? You know, back when I was doing it, I mean, this was 2013 when I first had the idea. Um, at the time, I realized quickly that sectionals were it. Like sectionals were the only thing that uh, was really worth buying, you know, like a single two seater or even a three seater couch, they would sell for like a hundred bucks, 150 bucks max. And so there wasn't a lot of margin on it. And, you know, that was all I focused on. I also realized that neutral colors were the best. Anytime I got like a weird, funky color, it just never sold. So I was like, Hey, brown, black sectionals, like that's it. That's the bread and butter. And that was what I did. But what's funny is I learned this like recently after talking to so many different couch flippers across the nation. They're literally flipping anything and everything and making a ton. These guys, like I interviewed two here recently on my YouTube channel that they showed me a couch in their warehouse and I was like, what is this? And sure enough, they were like, yeah, that's going to get like 300 bucks. I was like $300 for this like single couch that's just crappy. I wouldn't have ever thought that would sell for over a hundred bucks, but I guess when you factor in inflation, you factor in no supply, people just don't really have a choice. Like they have to buy the couch. And so, yeah, it's a lot different than when I was doing it, man. I'm sure that's crazy. I'm sure that different markets, I guess, would have different couches that sell well, but I can see that the neutrals and things like that would do well for the most part. Yeah. So after you started doing this, what was your average monthly net profit when you started to kind of get good at this and doing it for a specific period of time? Yeah. So when I first started, you know, like I said, I was making like 2000, um, then it went to three and then four. And then I remember I got it all the way up to 8,000. And that was probably like after a year of like really refining it because it didn't just start as couches. It started as everything. I'm like, I'll buy a table. I'll buy a couch. I'll buy a refrigerator. Dude, I've installed so many washers and dryers. Like you have no idea. But I realized as I installed all these washers and dryers that a lot of them were, you know, broke, you know, they look good. And then people after like a week be like, dude, this thing's leaking. This is doing that. I'm like, I got to get out of the appliance business. Like this is just too much headache. And, you know, hauling those things was freaking heavy, dude. 
getting those washers and fridges in and out. I have literally unloaded a fridge by myself with the truck. Like I've done almost everything you can imagine with like moving crap. And after months of doing it, I realized, dude, couches are it. Like they're the easiest. They have the highest margin. Uh, They don't break, (laughs) you know, they don't have any mechanical. They're super easy. And so I focused only on couches and that was when I started making the most money and having the least amount of headache. And uh, it's funny because it's like that in business now. Like you try a bunch of things in your business you think are good and then you start to realize this is where the money's at. Like this is making me the most. It has the least amount of headache. Like I just need to go all in at this. And so that's what I realized with couches. But around that time, and this is what people got to remember, is there, I've seen some people are like, his story doesn't add up. If he's making 8000 a month, how did he not have money to flip houses? And the reality is when I was flipping couches, it was only while I was in Vegas, right? I would still go leave six, seven months to go play baseball. So I was making 1200 bucks a month playing baseball for six months. I'd come back, I'd go flip couches and it made good money, you know, but it's still like, even if I made 6,000 bucks for six months, it's still only 36 grand a year. And that was like everything to live off of. So it was good money when I was doing it, but I just wasn't doing it full time really. And then it was around that time that I realized like, I'm kind of capped out on couches. Like I'm literally the guy. I'm buying every couch that you can buy on Craigslist. And, you know, at the time there was no offer up. There was no Facebook marketplace. It was just pretty much Craigslist. And I'm um, like, I can't scale this anymore. And it was that time I started learning about house flipping. And I was like, I'm going to go all in on this house flipping thing. And I ended up basically hiring my buddy to kind of take over my couch flipping business. I was like, hey, you know, I'll give you 50 bucks a pickup, 50 bucks a delivery you know, I'll find the deals and, you know, just run this for me while I try and figure out this house flipping thing. That's awesome. And I know in your book, Flip Your Future, you're talking about a moment where you and your wife were on vacation in New Orleans and you were reading through these real estate books and all of a sudden this light bulb moment went off. Is that kind of the point where you decided to switch? Yeah. You know, we were on our one year anniversary. This was in 2014. And at that point I had had months where I made 8,000 bucks flipping couches, but I was still like, man, what am I going to do with my life? Like I'm, what would I have been? 25, you know, around there. I'm like, I'm 25 years old. Like, am I really going to just flip couches forever? Is that all my life is going to be? And I honestly was never thinking about getting back into real estate because I had already failed as a realtor. You know, couch flipping was literally the only thing I ever succeeded at with making money. And then, you know, this light bulb happened, you know, where, I prayed about it and I see this TV commercial for, you know, Scott Yancey, if you remember him. And it's ironic because, um, you know, I'm in Vegas and I'd watched his show and he was doing these guru courses. And I'm like, it's a scam, dude. Like I always dismissed any kind of education. And I just felt like God was calling me to look more into it. So I just Googled it. I was like, hey, you know, is this course legit? And Bigger Pockets pops up, which I had no idea what Bigger Pockets was. And I literally like searched, is Bigger Pockets a scam? Like, I don't trust anybody at this point in my life. I'm like, everyone's trying to get me. You see this a lot in the world. I mean, there is so much like scams out there, so I get it. But it's also more of like a poor person's mindset, which I was, I was still poor, of like, man, I don't want to pay for nothing. Like, I'll figure it out myself. And, you know, I look into it and sure enough, I find Bigger Pockets. I start reading the forums and other stuff while we're on our anniversary. And I'm like, okay, this stuff's legit. And I buy Brandon Turner's book. And, you know, Brandon's a good friend of mine now. But, you know, at the time I read his book and I go, this is life changing. Like, I know I can do this. You know, I know I could find undervalued houses. I'll find a way to get them fixed up. Just like I do couches. The only problem I was missing was money. I just didn't have money. And he starts talking about these things called hard money lenders. And I'm like, dude, this is what I've been missing my whole career. Because I grew up as a realtor thinking, oh, you need two years tax returns. You got to have a W-2. These are the only ways to qualify for a loan. And just, it's not true. And once I found out about hard money lenders where, you know, my credit didn't matter, my tax returns didn't matter, all that mattered was the deal. I was like, I am going to flip houses and I'm confident that I can do this. It's funny because Brandon's books are the first books I ever bought too. And they're honestly life-changing from just the real estate investing one to the low and no money down one. And bigger pockets was a big impact on me and my real estate career too. And they're just some of the coolest guys. So it's, it's just awesome. Yeah. 
And I know he uh, just recently left BP, but man, I don't think he fully understands like how many lives he's changed from what you know he did the last 10 years with BP. It's crazy. Absolutely. So as you started getting into real estate, you started to kind of flipping houses and things like that. So what are some false beliefs that you see when, when it comes to flipping houses? Um, I mean, the money is number one. That was my biggest false belief. I thought I needed all the money. And it's like, dude, back then, I wanted to justify that false belief and say like, oh, no one has money. We're coming out of the recession and yada, 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 right? Well, today, literally no one can make that excuse because there's more money in the world than ever. Everybody has money trying to go find a place to put it. You know, we're more connected than ever as society with social media. You know, it used to be like when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I don't have any family members who could like help me with this. I don't have any friends who've got money. I'm young. My friends ain't doing nothing yet. And today it's like, dude, if I wanted to go raise money for a deal, I could go DM you. You could DM me. You could go join a Facebook group. You can go join a meetup. And like the money is everywhere. And so that false belief is like, I think most people still, and that is the easiest part of uh, real estate these days. Even still today, I still have to get over that. You know, when I started my fund, Panetta Capital, I had never raised this amount of money to buy an apartment, you know, and you have these false beliefs where you're like, man, are people really going to, you know, invest with me on this? And we raised our first fund. Um, it was almost 6 million bucks to buy over $20 million worth of apartments in Georgia. And we did it. It wasn't easy. We learned a lot along the way, but in the end we did it. And I got over that false belief of like, okay, people will trust me with their money for a different asset class. And then we recently just did another raise to buy uh, 96 units in Iowa. And, you know, the raise was less. It was 1.6 million. But we ended up doing that one in a couple of days. And so it just like keeps getting easier and easier as you go along. But I just want people to know, like, even I still struggle with like, can we actually do this? Like, as we keep going bigger and bigger. And there will come a time where I'm like, dude, let's raise 50 million to go do this massive idea. Can we do it? You know, so I think you're always battling false beliefs and you just have to get out there and try them. So money is always a big one. The second one I see with like a lot of our students and people who DM me is like, I think it's just a lack of confidence. Like they're like, man, how do I know if I'm buying a good deal? Who's going to help me and help me? Like, I don't want to buy a bad deal and then be screwed. Like, I think that's people's biggest fear as well. There's really no rebuttal to that other than being in like a coaching program or having a mentor, because if you have never done it before, then you might be misevaluating it. It's very likely that you are. So I think the only way to combat that is by having a mentor, having a coaching program and somebody to double look exactly what you're doing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to Indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the hardest things about managing your money is figuring out where it's all going. And most of us are trying to save for several goals at once, which can feel like a daunting task to see if you're on track or even on pace to accomplishing your goals. But there is a tool that makes it so much easier and it's called Monarch Money. They help you track your money flow without taking a ton of time and energy. And Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. And you can invite them with an extra account with their own login at no extra cost 
to collaborate with you. And Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can create custom budgets, set notifications, and you can set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications. And after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash PFP for your extended 30-day free trial. Now is a great time of year to get your finances in order. And no matter what your financial goals are this year, when you use Chime's online checking account, you can cross all those financial to-dos off your list. Chime's online checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-fee overdraft up to $200. Plus, get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go 24-7. And you get access to over 60,000 ATMs. So start building your credit and open a Chime checking account with at least $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com PFP. That's Chime.com PFP. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank, NA, or Stride Bank, NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you wanna grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. Absolutely. And that's kind of the cool thing that you guys can hear Ryan talking about these numbers that he's working with now. And he started with no money, flipping couches, and look where he is with his real estate investment career now. And that's why we talk about in this podcast all the time that anybody can build wealth. You just have to take the correct steps in the correct order. 100%. And Ryan, when it comes to funding, where do you think new investors to start out? It depends what you're trying to do and where you're at in life, you know? So if you're trying to flip houses, I mean, hard money lenders are dying to lend out money. They have so much capital, they don't know what to do with it. Like, they don't care if you've never done a deal. They will lend you money. They don't care if you went bankrupt last year. They will still lend you money. There's someone who will give you money. So I think if you're flipping, um, hard money lenders are great. I think if you're trying to buy rentals and other things, you know, traditional financing is always going to be the way to go to get long-term debt. But, you know, the biggest one would be private lenders. And this is one that took me years to finally get. I still had a false belief even after, you know, flipping houses and having profits like that, I could get other people to invest with me. Because at that time, I was just using my own money. I was maxing out credit cards. That's how I did deals. And I got my first private lender actually in a Bible study. And he had saw what I was doing the last couple of years. And... I think at that time I had flipped about 25 homes and he finally came to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I've watched what you're doing. Let's talk about how I can get in on this. Right. And how I can help you. So we went to play golf and that was like my first deal on the golf course. You know, we hashed out the terms and he's like, all right, I'm going to start you off with half a million dollars. You know, that should buy you a couple of deals. And I remember telling him, I was like, Hey, here's the deal. Like I could scale this, but my biggest thing is I don't, have the money to put as down payments and I don't want to pay interest. Like that's just, if you can wait to get your interest and you could fund the whole deal, I could buy a lot of these and we can make a lot of money. And he was like, that's fine. Like I don't need the money today, you know, and I trust you. And so that's what he did. You know, we bought two houses with that 500 K I got his money back in a few months and we just kept doing it over and over again. And sure enough, he started to expand the limit, you know, And now over the years, I don't even know how much we've invested together. Like I've literally made him millions and he's helped me make millions too. 
but he starts telling his friends about it. You know, wealthy people have wealthy friends, you know? And so he tells his friends, they start lending to me. And, you know, that was just really how I got started with my private money career was it took one guy who was willing to take a chance on me. And it was only because he trusted like my integrity over the years. Like I had built years of credibility with him, never asking him for a dime, you know? And then, you know, he approached me and looking back on it, was that the right thing to do? It's probably not what I would do today. You know, I'd be a lot more proactive today trying to go reach out to people because I was not proactive at all. I was very like, hey, if people want to work with me, they'll come to me. And that did happen, but it took three years, you know, versus today. If I was like a young guy who had no money today, I would not be like, hey, you know, over time, people will trust me. I'd be like, hey, let me go reach out to Ryan. Let me go reach out to guys I knew have money and try to get them to trust me. And worst case, let me at least find them a deal and prove to them I'm good at finding deals and maybe we'll JV it or I'll wholesale it to them. You know, there's a lot more ways to go about getting private money today. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where it just shows the power of networking and your network around you. I know you're based in Las Vegas. What are some things you look at when choosing a market? Do you only invest in Las Vegas? You know, for the fix and flips, um, we're mainly in Vegas, I would say like 95%. I'll do an occasional deal in these random markets with my students because once again, they need financing and funding and they know that if I trust them, then I'll fund the deal and we'll split profits. And so, you know, we'll do occasional random deals in like Cali or Arizona. We did a few in New Mexico last year. Um, So I'm open to doing those. I've got some rentals in other states like Cali. You know, I've talked about my Airbnb portfolio and Big Bear. And then obviously we're buying these huge buildings in random places, you know, like we bought one in 334 units in Warner Robins, Georgia, the Southern ones in Quad Cities, Iowa. And I think on the bigger apartments, I'm not looking in any specific market. We're just looking at the deal. It's like, hey, okay, this is a super good deal. It's big enough where it makes sense. I wouldn't buy like, say, a 10 unit in Iowa. It's just not worth my time. But, you know, 100 units, cool. We'll buy that. We'll build the infrastructure and get that thing going. So um, there's this big shift of people wanting to do virtual, especially working remote. And they're like, you know, I want to virtually wholesale in Vegas and Arizona and and Cali. And I think on the wholesaling side, you can definitely do it. But I do believe it's easier to be focused on one market. If you're flipping for sure. Okay. Because building out contractors and checking on properties virtually is a nightmare. Okay. I tell people this all the time. If you're going to flip a house in another place, It better be like double the profit because you're probably going to like be delayed. You're going to get burned somehow because you're just not actively there and you just don't know it the way you know your local market. But if you're wholesaling, I still think it's better to just stay in one market because you lose the ability to like really know that market and go on appointments. You know, most virtual wholesalers are trying to close on the phone and you can. We've closed deals on the phone, but we always get better deals going on appointments. How do you find and source these deals? Are the majority on market or are they off market? Uh, Pretty much all off market at this point. One of my big focuses for 2022 is to do more on market. We've kind of gotten away from that. And I really hate it because on market deals to me are the best deals because they cost you nothing, right? Like if we find a deal in the MLS, I didn't have to pay a marketing dollar. I didn't have to do any of that. Um, But anytime I market the way we do, I got to pay ad spend. I got to pay my sales team. I got to pay a lot of people every time we do a deal off market. So I want to really make a commitment to getting back to doing more on market. And, you know, our goal is to get one a week on the market. If we can get basically 50 deals on market this year, I'm going to be really happy. And then still just continue to do what we do off market. But um, in regards to what kind of marketing we're doing, I think last year, our average spend for the year was about 60000 a month. So it's a lot of money we spend to acquire these deals. But on the flip side, your off-market deals are usually going to be a lot juicier. There's no middleman. There's no realtors. You're going straight to the seller. And uh, typically, you can get a better deal. And I haven't tallied up the total final numbers for 2021. But uh, it was a record year in terms of average profit, mainly because the market appreciated so much. Uh, more than anything. By the time we sold it, we got way more than we thought. But I want to say the average profit was over 50000 last year. It was crazy. And uh, 
I think a lot of that is due to how good we are with marketing. We do a lot of TV commercials. I would say that's, I don't know, half the budget on TV commercials. We do direct mail. We do cold calling. We do texting. Those are the main sources. And when you evaluate these properties, when you go look at these properties and do you run it on a spreadsheet or is there a calculator you use or how do you run your numbers on these? Because I know you make all your money when you buy on these deals. When we look at a deal, we look at it a bit differently than most people. You know, I don't say that I'm a house flipper anymore. I mean, that's what I was known as and what, you know, made me my first million, let's say. But over time, I've just realized like I'm a real estate investor. And so any deal that we get locked up, I'm looking at it through the lens of every exit strategy. What's this look like if we were to rent it? What's this look like if we wholesale it? What's this look like as a flip? And just kind of running through those scenarios. And so majority of things these days we're flipping because we know that the market is hot. We know that by the time this thing gets fixed up, there's a likely chance it's worth more than what we think today. And so my team has just been flipping like crazy. We did not really wholesale too many homes in 2021 because it wasn't really the right move. But things are definitely changing because as I transition into this year, you know, house flipping used to be my main source of income, right? So it was like, hey, if I want to, you know, eat and uh, have nice things, I have to flip houses. And now it's not the case. You know, we have all these different companies and house flipping might be like my fourth most profitable stream of income at this point. And so with that being said, it's like, I don't have to flip every house anymore. I can take down the ones I want to keep as rentals and really start, you know, building the portfolio bigger, get all the tax benefits of keeping them. And quite honestly, by not making the profit as a flip and instead keeping it as a rental, it has a huge impact now for me because I don't need that cash anymore because of the other businesses. And It just saves me on my income by not flipping it and then keeping it as a rental. It's like double bonus. So, you know, I'm looking at it in every lens, but now they know going into this year, 2022, the first question they need to ask themselves is, does Ryan want to keep this? And that's what the team does. They're like, does this fit his rental criteria? If not, okay, are we going to flip it? Are we going to wholesale it? What are we doing? And if it does fit your rental criteria, how many offers are you making per month? Because obviously the volume of offers is going to make a big impact on your business. And when I make offers sometimes, especially on market, I feel embarrassed half the time. I get laughed at all the time. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, dude. If you're not embarrassed when you make your offer, you're offering too high, man. That's that's the goal. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I'll show you this. So, you know, we're in my office. Uh, I can't turn it too much. But if you could see, um, there's a TV there that kind of blocks it. But that entire cubicle is a sales floor. And so they're literally making offers all day. This is just the house flipping team. We have three people in-house. We call them inside sales agents. So their job is to not go on appointments. It's to not you know, do anything other than just sit on the phones all day, make offers. That's it. They're making offers or setting appointments. And then we have one guy who's never in office if they're doing their jobs because his job is to just be the appointment guy. He's literally just going on you know, hopefully two, three appointments a day trying to lock up deals. And that's really how our system works on the offer side. Now we have other people like marketing and COO and stuff. But essentially, if you think about it, we have three guys making offers all day internally and one guy going on appointments all day. And I have no idea how many offers these guys are making on a daily basis, but it's a lot. And that's actually not even counting to our people who are on the MLS. So like I told you before, I was very disappointed with how we did last year on the MLS. I think we may have bought like, I don't know, like five, five or six. Like it was embarrassing. And, you know, I said, we need to buy one a week. I teach our students too. It's like, okay, you got to reverse engineer it. You want to buy one a week. How many offers is it going to take, right? This is kind of what you're asking. And it's like, man, to get one deal a week on the MLS, you better make at least probably 30 offers a day because the MLS is so competitive that, you're going to throw 30 low ball offers out there. You're going to get said F you 30 times, and then you're going to do it again tomorrow. And you're going to get told to F off tomorrow too. And then, you know, you're going to get lucky. Thursday, one person's like, you know what? I think he would take that. And boom, you got your deal. And it's all worth it because, you know, we can make so much money just getting one undervalued deal. And you got to just understand that that's part of the game. As long as you're getting that 1%, you're going to win. 
Absolutely. And that's kind of the same thing I've seen as well, where I've had to make, you know, hundreds of offers to get one on the MLS, but that's the way it is. And that's what you have to do. So you were talking about how you sometimes will hold properties as rentals instead of flipping them. How do you make that decision? Is there a specific amount of cash flow you're looking for? You know, this has been a weird one for me because in Vegas, it's not a very good cash flow market. You know, it used to be like, say, a $300,000 house would rent for like 1700 bucks, And it's like, man, once you get the mortgage, you'd be losing money. And so I never wanted to build a rental portfolio out here because it just never made sense. But like I said, two things have kind of happened since then. The first is seeing those same properties two years later, three years later, like that $300,000 house is now worth four fifty, five hundred, And it's renting for, I don't know, 3,000 bucks now. And so it's like, dude, if I would have bought that and kept it, it would have been good. It didn't like look good initially, but now it's good. And I know we never want to buy based on speculation, especially if like this is your only rental and you know, you can't afford to you know, be negative cash flow or lose. But that really got me thinking like, man, okay, what is my buying criteria? If we know that Vegas or Cali or where are you at, Andrew? I'm in Tampa, Florida. Okay, Tampa. Tampa's super hot right now. But uh, it, is. it really is. Yeah. But let's just say you're not in like one of these markets that necessarily cash flow very well. Well, they're appreciation markets, right? Tampa's an appreciation market. Vegas is. Cali is. Like they've gone through the roof. They're not like the Midwest where you can get good cash flow. And yeah, they're going up a little bit. But I mean, you ain't getting rich like from one property in the Midwest. You could have bought one property in Cali five years ago and became a millionaire today doing nothing. Right. Like that's the difference. Exactly. So having that mindset now where it's like, yeah, I don't really care about making 200 bucks a month cash flow. Like it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't change my life. What I do care about is the long term of it. How bullish am I on that market? How much more do I think they're going to print money? Which hint, I think they're going to print a lot. Um, How much more do I think uh, I need in tax write-offs? And that's kind of what I'm looking at now is like, okay, if let's just say I'm getting an undervalued deal, it's always going to be undervalued, never pay a market value. You know, let's just say I've got this 400,000, this house I'm all into for 400,000 in a great area of Las Vegas that I want to hold long-term, right? And let's just say it rents for 2500 Well, if I did get a loan for, say, $400,000, i would kind of like break even. Now, granted, I'm getting a good deal, so maybe it's worth, I'm all in for four hundred, but it's worth, I don't know, four seventy. Let's just say that. I would probably buy that deal today, and I wouldn't have did that two years ago. I would be okay breaking even because, for one, I know that in the long term, I'm going to make a lot. In a couple of years, that thing's going to cash flow a lot better than it does today. And in those years until that happens, I'm okay absorbing the loss, you know, whatever loss that could be. But even if it, you know, doesn't go up, let's just say I still have negative cash flow or break even for the next five years, right? The tax write off that it's giving me is so much bigger than any kind of cash flow. You know, it's like if we cost segregate that, or, you know, I can write off all of the renovation expense to that house. Like, let's just say like it gave me a 60 grand write-off, right? By buying that house. Well, 60 grand to me at 40% tax bracket is worth $24,000 like in year one. That's just year one. That's not every year after that. So it's like by keeping this as a rental, I save $24,000 in taxes. Like that's $2,000 a month, essentially. That is cash flow because I would have paid that. So I see things a lot different now, being in the position I'm in, trying to really bring my tax bill down and then build my net worth for the long term. Because, I mean, look, even if you bought real estate in 2006, 2007, if you held it this whole time, you're sitting pretty, right? You've paid off 15 years of principal. As long as you withstood the storm, your house is worth more than what you paid for it 15 years later, and you've paid off 15 years of principal and your rents have gone up significantly. So you're looking good. And that's kind of how I see it is like, worst case, there's a storm. And I feel like I'm in a position to weather a storm with all my other businesses. Best case, things keep going like they're going. And then I look like a genius because these things are cash flowing like crazy. The values are crazy. And I get the tax write-offs. So that's kind of how I look at things today. 
Absolutely. And that's a fantastic outlook. And I think the task benefits are huge. We've had episodes on that in the past. And if you look at the real estate market for people looking at the day-to-day trends of real estate, the biggest thing to understand is the real estate market goes in one direction over the long term. And if you're in this for the long run, it's going to absolutely change your life because the real estate market goes up and it's buying more assets to build more wealth. So you can build generational wealth for you and your family. So that's the coolest thing about real estate. And that's what Ryan's talking about here. You know, my strategy is different than somebody just getting started out strategy, right? Like, would I suggest you go and keep that deal that I just said? Probably not. Like, you know, you'd be better off probably flipping it and making your money and building it up. I'm just giving you guys my perspective of like what my criteria is because my criteria is different than everyone else's. I have different problems and different needs and different things than other people do. So don't just be like, oh, that's what Ryan does. That's what I'm going to do. It may not make sense for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you got to kind of find your path. You got to do put the personal education in there and all that stuff as well. So Ryan, what's the best deal that you've ever done? It's a good question. Um, I think there's a few that come to mind. The first was this apartment we bought. Bought it three years ago. I actually did a YouTube video on it. It was probably one of the first viral videos I ever had. And I talked about how I paid, what did I pay? I can't even remember how much I paid down. It was like 15 grand or something down. Um, it was a seller finance deal. And we got it for $300,000, this uh, 10 unit building. And part of that deal was I got three years of no payments. So that was really cool. So, you know, I get into this apartment. I've never bought an apartment in my life, but I'm like, I'll figure it out, right? Well, after about a year, we get it all fixed up, cost about $200,000, and we start cash flowing. We're making seven grand a month in rents, and I have no payment for two years. And so I just basically cash flow and make money for two years. And then finally, I have the payment. I think the payment's $1,250 now because it's interest only. Uh, so it's 5% on 300,000 bucks. So right now I'm just paying 1250 a month, making 7,000 in gross. And I actually just got an offer for 1.2 million on the building. So I might sell it. I don't know. Like it doesn't matter what I do. It's a win. So that was like my first like super big deal that was really cool. Another deal, we actually just filmed a YouTube video on this. It is a uh, flip we're doing, a luxury flip. We're all into it for about 1.5 million. And we just listed it for 2.5. And I don't know what it's going to end up selling at. We got an offer at 2.2. If we did sell it, that'd be a $700,000 profit. So that could be the first uh, potential close to a million dollar flip, which would be insane. But if I had to actually say what the best deal was, not counting like their apartments were buying and stuff, because those are like really big deals. But uh, I would say it was my land I bought for my house I'm building. That's a development deal where... I paid 620,000 bucks for this two acres that's on a mountain. And it's absolutely insane. Late 2020, I bought it. And, you know, at the time, people were like tripping over the election and like COVID. Like people didn't know what was going on. And, you know, I was able to buy it at an extremely discounted price. And today, I don't know what it's worth because it's literally like one of a kind. But I can tell you, I wouldn't sell it for less than eight figures. Like that's how strongly I feel about it. And I truly believe that I could be all into that development and build like this crazy luxury home for call it seven or 8 million. And I think it's going to be worth over 30 million. So that's uh, probably the biggest deal that uh, I'm going to be most proud about. Or I could flip it right now and make a lot of money too. Those are some awesome deals. Is development something you want to get into more? Yeah, we're definitely leaning that way. One of the arms of Pineda Capital will be raising money for big developments. Actually, one of my students, I partnered up with him. He's a developer in Bel Air. He's been developing these big commercial buildings and hotels. He's got the best designs you've ever seen. You know, we got together and we're going to use all of our resources to find really good deals, put some crazy buildings on them, and then basically show them on social media to drum up traffic to raise the money to build them and, you know, make profit. And it's, it's going to be pretty fun. So I'm really into development and I'm also into development in uh, the metaverse too. So that's something I've been talking a lot about, but I've got a lot of plans for development in both worlds. That's fantastic. And I think development is something that's just, you know, we're in a low inventory right now in housing. So it's something that could be huge in the long run. Yeah. When I look at these properties from a couple of years ago, 
and how much they sold for after the fact. Like these people started developing these houses, you know, in these luxury areas. And then all of a sudden they are finally built and they're selling for millions more than projected. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, like luxury is kind of where it's at when you want development, especially if you're a small builder, because, you know, just with where I think the world is going, I think things are going to keep going up. I think they're going to keep printing money. And we've just seen the rich get richer. Like that's just what's happening with all the money printing. It's all flowing to the top. And so it's like, if they're getting richer, you probably want to build some luxury home for these people because there's definitely not very much inventory of it. Absolutely. So you've been super successful at an impressive pace. Knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? I think one of the things I hit on earlier was I would have reached out to, you know, people sooner for raising money and for mentorship and all those things, because it's just like, man, I was so much like expecting people to just flock to me. I was like, hey, if I just do a good job, people will come to me. And I got lucky that it happened. But if I would have just been proactive from the beginning, things could have went even faster. So I think that. But the second thing is I've realized this with all my businesses is that people are the most important thing to business success. I don't care how good your idea is. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care you know, how much money you personally have. If you don't have people around you, you cannot scale quick. There's just no way to do it. And I've realized the only reason I'm able to do what I do is because I have great people around me. And if I had to say like the one superpower I have is that I'm able to come up with an idea and then find the right person to help me do it. And I don't try to think that I can do it myself because I just know I can't. I know I'm neither not talented enough in that specific area or I just don't have the time. Like maybe I am good enough to do it, but my time is so limited now that it's just not worth it. Like it's better to just go partner with somebody, to go pay somebody a lot of money. And that way the idea gets out there because I know in the long run with help, I can scale infinitely, right? If I have enough people and I have this vision, I can make it come to life if I just have the right people. And so I'd really um, tell everybody that is like, look, if you're trying to do this solo, whatever your business is, that is the wrong approach. Find other people who can help you. And if it involves partnership or equity or profit share, do it. It's worth it. So it sounds like you figured out how to master leveraging your time. So how did you get there and what's your daily routine? Man, this is actually why I just came out with a new program called The Wealthy Way, which is really all about that. So over time, I didn't really understand what I was doing. I just like kind of went through it and it just ended up being successful. And like anything, I was like, okay, let's do more of what works. Let's do less of what doesn't work, right? And it just started to like, exponentially increase my success by doing these right things over and over again. But while I was doing that, I also realized there were other people who were doing different things than I was doing, you know, and I don't want to say they're the wrong things, but you know, they looked like they were having a lot of success. They're making money. Their business was doing good. And then I'm like, man, maybe I should be doing what they're doing. Maybe I need to whatever. Right. And over the years, I just started to see the difference of where I went and where they went, you know, their lives ended up either stalling out or hitting crazy rough patches or whatever. Well, I kept trucking along and like creating all these new things. And I just realized like what I was doing was so different than what most people do because I was working less hours than everybody. I was making more money. I was having more joy in what I was doing. And just, it was like, I was doing everything counterintuitive to what other people tell you to do. And um, like you just asked, many people started to ask, like, how do you do it? How are you like able to manage all those businesses and create content and still spend time with your family, spend time working out and taking care of yourself? Like, how do you do it all? And I was like, you know what? This question has been asked so many times that I'm just going to create like the blueprint. And that was what I did with the wealthy way. I just created a course. I created a planner that I use for the morning routine, something that like didn't exist. And I was like, I'm just going to create it for myself. I'm going to hire an app team to do this. Like I've paid over a hundred thousand dollars just to create everything that we've made into the wealthy way and a discord community. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to give it all away for free and I'm never going to charge anything. And it was the first business like that, where there's no plan to like monetize. It's like, Hey, I'm just going to put all this value out for people 
And if they like it and it really helps them, I'm sure like we'll do business in some way. Whatever happens, happens. Like that's just the law of reciprocity. But I have no plans to ever like sell the planner, to sell the course, to like none of that. And it pretty much just goes into, you know, what wealth really is, right? It's not just about being rich and making money. That's what people think. And that's what I used to think too. But I slowly realized that like wealth is about having an abundant life in all aspects, right? Like all the money in the world does you no good if you're getting divorced tomorrow, if your kids don't like you, if your health sucks and you can't even move, if your faith sucks, if all of these areas you neglected in the pursuit of getting rich all fail, then you're not wealthy to me. I wouldn't trade lives with you, you know? So just seeing so many rich people do that over the years and seeing it firsthand, I was like, man, people have got to know, like, there's nobody else saying this. Like everybody's like hustle, hustle culture, make money, work 15 hours a day till, you know, you make it, your family will understand. Like you got to sacrifice now for later. And I'm like, no, you don't. I didn't do it. I've never had to work 15 hours a day. Like I still today, I work four days a week, seven hours a day. I golf every Friday. I take the weekends off. I leave the office by five. I get a lot of crap done every day. And it's only because of, you know, all of the principles that I talk about in the wealthy way with, you know, time management, morning routine, delegation, going after the right goals, holding yourself accountable. Like there's a bunch of things that I know have made the difference versus other people who kind of are, uh, you know, I guess not proactive in what they're trying to accomplish every day. They waste a lot of time. They're inefficient. So they go after the wrong goals. Like all of these things play a role in, you know, everything. And here's the point too that people need to realize is I learned this from a book, uh, Compound Effect and Atomic Habits. They're kind of similar. Uh, is like every day you do these things, you don't see it. You don't get the result right away. But over the years or even one year, you see it and you're like, whoa, it's only because of all the little daily actions I took that led to this crazy result. And unfortunately, in the present, we want gratification today, right? We're always fighting our present self versus our future self, right? Our present self wants to spend money, wants to eat like crap and, you know, have fun. Our future self is like, don't eat that donut, save the money. It's going to reward you in the future, right? And so it's like understanding these conflicting things that we're going through every day and doing the right daily actions and then seeing what happens a year from now or five years from now. And that's what I've seen in my own life, you know, without going too crazy off topic, five years ago, that was the first year I made $100,000 in my career. You know, I made $100,000 for the first full year, five years ago. And then to see five years later where my life is today, where we've made over a million dollars in a month, I'm like, this is crazy. You could not have ever told me five years ago that this would be possible. And I'm like, was there any big moment where I just like had these like crazy things that happened? It's like, no, like literally I'd just been doing the same thing every day for five years, being disciplined, being open to opportunities. And it's not like sexy or like these crazy advice. It's just being consistent with these daily things. And this is one of the coolest projects. I think you and I align totally on what wealth truly is. And this is something that we talk about on this podcast all the time. So I encourage everybody to go check this out. It's at wealthyway.com. We'll link it up in the show notes as well so that you can check that out. But it is one of the coolest projects. I've been going through some of the modules and things like that. And it's going to really change your life. And Ryan is giving this away for free. It is absolutely tremendous value. And it's something that you should definitely check out. And one of the things that I love about the Wealthy Way is the acronym that comes with it. So can you explain the acronym a little bit? Yeah, I totally forgot that. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and I'm glad that you like it too. Uh, so I created this acronym called WEALTH, right? Stands for Worship, Education, Affluence, Lifestyle, Team, and Health, okay? Spells out the word wealth. And I just realized like most people when they're setting goals for the year, I'm guilty of this, is thinking financially. I'm like how much do we want to do this year in business? How many deals do I want to do? But very few people set goals in the other aspects of their life. And so I started to come up with this concept of like, how can I get people to set goals in all aspects? And then how do I help them stay accountable to those goals? And so with the wealth planner, it kind of takes people through that step by step of like, okay, 
This is education, right? This is anything to do with your self-development. How many books do you want to read this year? How many podcasts do you want to listen to? Do you want to join a coaching program? Like, you know, setting goals for education. The same thing is with affluence, right? Like that's anything with making money. People like making those goals. I don't think any of us listening to this podcast need help setting our affluence goals. But with worship, for me, that's anything to do with prayer, with charities, with donating, with, you know, anything, volunteering. What are you doing on that aspect? How many people are setting goals for how many charities they want to, you know, um, help and volunteer at or how much they want to donate? You know, so having all of the goals and thinking about that for your year is something that is already going to change your mindset from the beginning of like pursuing what's actually important beyond money, right? But then the way that we created the planner as well was to create daily habits that you want to, you know, implement in your life. And basically every day you log into the planner, you have to mark whether you did those habits or not. And if you do, you're going to get a nice green check mark. It's going to give you a dopamine hit. If you don't, you're getting a big old fat red X and you're like, dude, I got to hit that habit today, you know, and super simple habits could be reading for 30 minutes a day, working out and being active. If you struggle with that, for me, I had a very simple one this year. I wanted to tell my wife, I love her every single day. And you would think that I do that, but the reality is I don't like, I forget. I'm just like, it's a given. She knows I love her. Right. But by looking at the planner every day and having to mark and really think like, did I tell her that yesterday? Like, did I show her that I love her? And I'm like, I don't think I did. And I have to get that X. I'm like, okay, today I need to step it up. And that's the beauty of what successful people do is that they're being held accountable either themselves or, you know, somebody else or whatever. In this case, the planner is meant to hold you accountable of like, yo, you said you're going to do this. Yeah. You're not going to be perfect every day, but you're going to immediately know when you're off path. And you're going to be able to get back on path the next day, because that's what leads to these slumps and these funks is when you veer off path and you don't know it. And then all of a sudden you look up a month later and you're like, holy crap, like what happened? I just have no idea. But by being proactive and understanding when you're off path immediately, you're able to recorrect. And so that's what the wealth planner is all about. And, um, you know, like Andrew said, like I could have easily charged for it and charged for all these things, just like I do all my other products. But I was like, dude, I just think this can really change lives. And I don't want it like anybody to not have the ability to go through it. Absolutely. It can definitely change your life. It's actionable stuff that you can do each and every single day. And it's going to keep you accountable, especially if you're using the planner. If you're in the Discord community talking to people, this is something that you definitely can use each and every day. And it really is life changing. So before we wrap it up, Ryan, besides your own book, are there any other resources or anything else that change your life or the way you operate today? Are there any books or courses or anything like that? Yeah, so I have a goal of reading 36 books this coming year. Last year, I read 36. The year before, I read 52. That was really tough, one a week. So I've read a lot of books in the last couple of years, so it's hard to pick what are my favorite books. But one thing I'll say is like I personally don't read a lot of real estate books anymore just because... I have very little value to gain by learning. Like I kind of am at the point where I know pretty much what I need to know. Um, And that's something I would encourage other people to realize too, is like, once you know, like 80% of that craft or whatever it is, like, you know enough. And that's what the wealthy way also talks about is Pareto's principle, the 80, 20 rule. It's like, dude, if you got 80% down, you can have a lot of success. So most of the books I read today are more self-development. They're more business related um, theories and strategies and everything else. But the two books I mentioned earlier, Atomic Habits and Compound Effect are really important for understanding what like taking daily action looks like and what it leads to if you stay consistent. Um, so I love that book. Another book I read, let me see. I'm looking through my list right now for you guys. I read some golf books this year. I read like five of them because I'm getting into golf. So that was kind of like more of a fun book. But even the golf books were interesting because they talk a lot about mindset and that totally relates to business and um, what we're doing. Another bunch of books I've been reading lately have been um, these books about big companies. So I read the book about Uber and um, how they, you know, went public and then, you know, Travis, the CEO got outed because, you know, just being dumb, whatever. Um, same deal with WeWork. Uh, there was a book called Billion Dollar Loser. 
very similar to Uber. Um, they created a culture that just wasn't sustainable and uh, crazy valuations, all this stuff. And the reason I'm reading those books is because it's like, I don't know what it's like taking a company public. I don't know what it's like, like running like huge billion dollar company, but I might one day and I want to understand what these people did that caused it. It's And it's not like they're failing. Uber's just fine. But he don't get to realize his vision with Uber and lead it through because of mistakes he made along the way. So I'm just pretty much trying to learn from other people's mistakes. That makes sense. And I can vouch for a ton of those books as well, including, you know, Atomic Habits, which I reread every single year. And that's one I'm reading right now. I always read at the beginning of the year. So that's a fantastic read as well. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find more about you and your courses, your YouTube channel, all that stuff? Yeah, you know, uh, if you want to learn more about my businesses and everything, uh, you can go to ryanpineda.com. It's got all the different businesses I have, our um, social media followings, all that. But I think the most important thing is just go to Wealthy Way. Go to wealthyway.com. Get all that stuff we talked about. That's my push for 2022. It's just like, I want a million people to go through the Wealthy Way and change their lives. And whatever happens from it, I know it's going to be good. So that's all I want you to do. Go to wealthyway.com. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Everyone's heard the saying, you have to spend money to make money. But everything in life, from travel to starting a business, is expensive. Which is why I want to tell you about a new podcast I love that will teach you all the tactics, tricks, and tips you need to upgrade your life, money, and even travel, all while spending less and saving more. It's called All the Hacks, and it's a top-ranked show hosted by my good friend Chris Hutchins a financial optimizer, an entrepreneur who's racked up millions of points, and he sold two companies. And if you want to rethink the way you're spending money, you have to check out the episode 91 with Bill Perkins and why you should be optimizing for net fulfillment and not net worth and striving to die with zero. All the Hacks has something for everyone, and I'm sure you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life, whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a routine change that boosts your productivity. So check out All the Hacks. That's All the Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.